Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pixels. This is the show where we cover the news from the video games industry from the past couple of weeks. We are going to be talking about a lot of numbers, business numbers, businessy, numbery things, which I hope are going to be super interesting for you, the listeners. Uh, we usually try to do this sparingly, but when we do, it's to extract the actual interesting information out of the business world. Uh, and we're going to have a, a discussion about uh, XO18 with a number of announcements from Microsoft on the Xbox ecosystem and a bunch of other additional things. My name is Patrick Beja, and to help me make sense of all of that businessy business, I have a couple of super clever people uh, who are going to explain to me what the hell is happening there. Uh, first, very happy to welcome back Nate Langson from what you're a businessy type. You're from Bloomberg. That's like you wear ties and, and actual proper clothes, right? Uh, well, my colleagues do absolutely. I tend to wear <laughs> jeans and a t-shirt every day, but uh, but yeah, I am a, a, a business technology journalist, and I cover consumer tech and gaming uh, in in Europe for Bloomberg. Perfect. Uh, thank you for being here. And we also have the, uh, can I say the specialist, or at least the most visible to me in my Twitter time timeline of uh, the game industry uh, in China and the analysis of uh, said game industry. Daniel Ahmad, how are you doing, sir? I'm, I'm doing good, Patrick. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm super... Okay, maybe not super excited, but reasonably, reasonably <laughs> excited uh, to dive into all of those uh, uh, pieces of data because there's a lot uh, happening there. And there's some things that I've been sure. hearing about uh, uh, from China for a while without quite fully understanding them. And I'm hoping that you can help us uh, make sense of all of that. Oh, I'll definitely try my best. Excellent. So I guess the first uh, number that we're going to be discussing is a really impressive one and speaks to core gamers all over the world, I think, but not only to core gamers. That is the uh, peak concurrent players that Fortnite experienced this week, I believe, or well, last week, uh, since we're recording this on a Monday, um, which was 8.3 million uh, peak concurrent players, which, it, you know, it's a number. You might not uh, understand how big it is if you don't have context for it. Uh, so I pulled a couple of um, notes from Steam Spy, uh, uh, Steam Spy's Twitter and uh, Shanti Bergel, who is an analyst uh, or advisor, at least. Um, basically, Steam, if you look at that, it has about 5 million peak players concurrent across 
all of it, its games uh, on average. So that is the entire Steam player base goes to 5 million players playing at the same time, all of the games, um, with Fortnite being at 8.3. And uh, the peak users in the Steam client is 16 million. So that's double, but it's just people who have the client open uh, and who aren't necessarily playing games. Um, uh, if you look at concurrent players' records, uh, you have now obviously the new highest one, Fortnite at 8.3 million, Crossfire, which I believe is a, a kind of a, a CSGO clone, uh, which is very popular in China, if I'm not mistaken. Um, at 8 million, League of Legends, 7.5 million. Remember, League of Legends is one of the most popular games of all time. Uh, PUBG is 3.2, and then you go down from there. Uh, Roblox, very popular with the kids. I guess you could say Fortnite is as well. Uh, Roblox is at 2.3. FIFA, 1.6. Minecraft, 1.4. Dota 2, 1.3, etc., etc. Destiny 2 is at 1.2. And Call of Duty Black Ops is at 1.1. World of Tanks is also at 1.1. So this is an incredible number. We've seen um, these this kind of writing on the wall which in a positive way for, for a while. Um, I guess I'm going to turn to Nate. How, do we care as gamers or is this important for uh the 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 business world or it feels like it's a phenomenon that everyone should take notice of but uh i don't know it doesn't really change whether or not you would want to play the game i suppose yeah i mean i think it's very important for the business world when you've got eight million people playing a, a single game at one time i mean that's that's massive massive money um i also think that one of the interesting things about comparing it to some of the games that stick around is that fortnite is still a relatively new title you know you look at something like world of warcraft that's been out for over a decade it's still sort of ranking in the top 10 uh of, of these sorts of games in terms of concurrent players and that game has managed to sort of maintain its longevity without, uh, you know, people questioning why it even still exists. Whether Fortnite can still be around in what? How old is World of Warcraft now? Is it like 12 years or something? Oh, even more. It's uh, 16 now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 15. Yeah. Like, I mean, will Fortnite be still around in there? That's, that's going to be the key question. And I think for the business, people are looking at this and saying, okay, well, how do we ensure that this kind of uh, user retention remains for the next... 12 13 years they're going to mm. look to games like world of warcraft and they also radically you know they're radically different types of games and so i think educating shareholders and and that sort of thing is going to be quite important for this one i think we're going to talk about uh retention over the long run and what uh epic is doing for that in just a minute but uh from what you're saying I absolutely agree. Uh, it's a young game, but that is also something impressive, I think, because it managed to climb to the top of every possible metric or, you know, if you want to put a, a, a fancy, sooty marketing term on it, KPIs yeah. in the world uh, so quickly. And correct me if I'm but wrong. But it's free. Uh, it's no, free. That's it's true. A, you know, it's it's a free it's a free game. And you know, when World of Warcraft came out, it wasn't a free game. People are still buying expansions for you know for that release. It, it didn't go free to play for a few years. Um, well, and so, 
Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think I'm not sure World of Warcraft has uh, that uh, impressive numbers of concurrent players. It certainly has uh, subscribers, but I don't think you even have one million people playing at the same time, unless maybe it's a, an expansion launch. Um, and and yes, it's free, but all of the other ones are also free. Uh, it, Except, I guess, Minecraft isn't, th isn't free, Destiny 2 isn't free, Call of Duty Black Ops isn't free. Um, so there are exceptions, but these, there are many other free ones that are uh, pretty successful that don't even touch the success of Fortnite. Um, and and I'm, I get the impression that this kind of success, getting that high so quickly is kind of unprecedented. I don't know if, if that's uh, an impression, but Daniel, maybe you can tell me, has something like this ever happened? Because Fortnite didn't, essentially didn't exist a year ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's certainly become a global phenomenon sort of overnight, I guess. You look or at... Or over a fortnight, am I right? Or, or over a fortnight. <laughs> mm, okay, I was sorry. debating whether to... Uh, to go there or not. that one in, but, yeah, but mm. I thought against it, I, so I'll let you take a four on that one. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so, I mean, it, I think you have to look at sort of the age that we're in at the moment and, you know, sort of how a lot of this can come together. The fact that Fortnite is available across every single platform, mobile, mm. PC, console, the fact that it's free to play, uh, but monetizes really well. You know, you, you wouldn't really get games like that um, 10 years ago that can come out and, and sort of have this big, sort of cultural impact on the world. And I think what's very impressive about some of the numbers for Fortnite is that the 8.3 million number uh, essentially is larger than, as you said, Crossfire, which is a, a Korean game, which is really popular in Asia. And it's essentially, as you said, Counter-Strike, but just the Asian version. Right. Uh, and so that, that hit about 8 million peak concurrent players. And, and so that's done really well in Asia. Uh, League of Legends is a, is a global game. That's done really well. And that's got about as you said, 7.5 million at peak. But uh, Fortnite is, is over both of those. And I think what's very impressive is that the game isn't actually officially out in China yet. There's oh, really? a, a beta. Yeah, there's a beta for the PC version. Uh, so that's technically, yeah, the numbers will come from that. But there isn't a, an official mobile version uh, unless you, like, you know, sideload it on Android or something. So um, that, I think that is something to keep in mind that, you know, this game has achieved peak popularity without sort of having an official release in China. And, and, and because I think when you look at the League of Legends number, when you look at the Crossfire number, I would say more than half, if not considerably more than half, is China alone. Whereas wow. in this case, it's very much a global game. So it, it, it means that it's probably uh, going to grow even more once it is officially available in China on uh, mobile. And we can talk about this for, for in just a minute. Before we go there and, and focus on the Chinese mobile market, which is huge, um, I do want to mention that, as you said, Nate, Epic is doing things to, is looking at how to maintain the success of that game over the long run. And as I've been clamoring for the past few months, I'm continuously impressed by the choices they make and the way they manage to maintain the mystique around that game, both in-game and with, you know, uh, uh, outside influences, uh, the latest of which is something that is so genius in in my mind really it's like the 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 team at 
Epic has taken the incredible luck that they have had to be in the right place at the right time with this game and with the uh, uh, Battle Royale version of Fortnite, of course. And they have made, you know, if the 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 if life gives you lemon lemons make lemonade they have been given gold and they've been making diamonds and yeah. in this case uh what really impresses me is this thing that is now obvious once you hear it but it's it's a genius partnership um they're going to have nfl skins uh for for fortnite and you're going to be able to buy nfl skins so national Fo football league the american football or how they as they call it in america Football um, is going to partner <laughs> is going to be partnering with Epic to create skins in Fortnite, and you're going to have the different teams and and I'm sure this is just the first of many partnerships. You know, you could imagine every <laughs> sports league uh, uh, in the world. You know, it could be the NBA, the NFL, the uh, sorry, I mean the uh, um, uh, football, soccer. Uh, it's endless, and at the same time. You have PUBG, which was there first and has a whole other host of issues, uh, but they're doing what? They're partnering with Warner Brothers, Warner Bros, to add skins from uh, the movie uh, Suicide Squad, which was a yeah. flop at the, like, I don't even, maybe that's what they could get and what could fit the uh, aesthetic of that game, but I yeah, don't see how that improves it. I mean, that game is that sorry, that film is sort of one of these films that's dedicated to be a cult classic, really, in that it, it wasn't commercially and critically that successful, but enough people like it to keep the brand, the brand going. And we've seen that from time to time with other with other films as well. But at the end of the day, you know, we're still in, in kind of new territory as far as how do you monetize free games um, go and one of the earliest examples uh, that we saw to be incredibly successful, it's, it's certainly in recent times. Um, was when Team Fortress 2 introduced hats and you could <laughs> you could design and sell hats and like the hat economy was just completely ridiculous um but at the same time a huge money maker that game is still going strong um and this is just sort of an extension of that i think uh just in a different type yeah. i was going to say even a different type of game it's not really if you think about it it's actually extremely similar in a That's huge true. number of ways um yeah i think i mean uh, and and it's not like i'm i'm poo-pooing PUBG it's still as we mentioned it's the top the fourth in the top list of uh concurrent peak users uh peak concurrent users and that game you have to pay for it so you know it's kind of we already have 30 bucks in our pocket from you and there's millions of people playing at the same time so it's not like it's it's uh something to be pitied it's just I, I'm I'm marveling at the creativity uh of Epic to keep getting for because it's a two-way thing you know the nfl is going to benefit from this and fortnite and epic are, are going to benefit from it especially with the uh you know end zone dances that uh, uh athletes do uh that have been dances from fortnite recently and stuff like that so anyway yeah. i thought it was really clever it is definitely clever um all right let's talk about china a little bit more since we have daniel here um we mentioned that Fortnite is not available in China uh, and on on mobile especially. Is that part of the... First of all, can you explain to us the, uh, uh, the pause in approvals for games in China that has been uh, continuing for months now? Uh, how does that impact 
game companies there and the game market there and how big can we expect Fortnite or really any game to be in China when it launches I think especially on mobile um, that's a lot mm -hmm. of questions there but take your pick sure I mean to kind of simplify it all if, if you're coming to China if you don't know anything about the China games market uh, it's very different to uh, the West in that in the West you can essentially uh, launch a game on Steam or through PS4 and you kind of go through uh, those platform holders to launch your game. Uh, with China, you, you have to go through government regulators to uh, obtain a license to launch your game because uh, China's government is very sort of um, paternal and it, it wants to have um, control and sort of um, it's essentially it wants to oversee the industries that, that are within China. So whether that's games or, or films or, or whatever it is, you know, you need to uh, acquire a license to bring your game into China and, and to distribute it or monetize it. And what's happened is in, in March of this year, there was a change in, in the, uh, basically a regulatory shakeup. And so a new regulator was created to handle uh, this process of approving games. And that regulator was brought into uh, control of China's um, essentially propaganda departments. Uh, and since then, there has been no game approvals. So what that means is, is that if you had a game um, that you put into the approval process after March, it's still there and it hasn't been approved. And so you can't officially launch your game in China. Uh, now, if you did have a game approved prior to March, you can actually still launch your game. There's, there's nothing wrong with that because you've already got the license, you've already got the approval. So there is a game freeze at the moment where essentially no games are launching in the country. The only ones that are, are, are those ones that have been approved prior to the, to the freeze. So Tencent, for example, did release a couple of games last week, uh, Metis as well. But again, they were you know, old games that have been approved a, a long time ago. Mm. And so that's causing a bit of this, um, uh, I'm sure you've read articles, you know, there's panic in the in industry and, and sort of a bit of um, just uncertainty as to what will happen next. Is that why Fortnite hasn't officially launched yet, or are they caught up in that approval process, or is it something different? Yep, it, 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 for Fortnite, it's, it's exactly that, mm. where it needs to get a license number for a mobile launch and a PC launch. And at the moment, it's, it's currently doing open testing on PC, but uh, they haven't launched a mobile yet. And I think one of the um, big indicators as to why they haven't launched a mobile version just yet is when you look at PUBG Mobile. So PUBG Mobile is also uh, developed and published by Tencent, and it's released in China, but it doesn't have a license for monetization. So the game is essentially free-to-play, and you know, 100 million people are playing this in China every day, <laughs> but they can't buy anything in the game. So Tencent so they, put this they, game out on the market. And they, have a license you know, for, they have a license for the game, but not for the monetization part of the game, right? You need a license for yeah, both? Essentially, it's, it's a beta they put out, if you want to call it right. that, testing version, but it's the, it's the real version. And um, they, they can't monetize it at all. And so you know, Tencent got this game out, which hundreds, you know, uh, 100 million people are playing, but you can't buy anything in it. And so that's caused a bit of an issue for Tencent where... You know, uh, people might be using from other games that they might pay in to this game where they don't have to pay anything. Right, right. So uh, there's a whole uh, uh, conversation about uh, 
game addiction and making sure you know that uh, teenagers don't get bad eyesight from uh, playing games as and it seems to me like kind of a way the government you know uh, the kind of excuse the government is putting forward to control the gaming market a little bit further and impose uh, certain regulations and rules to the developers mm -hmm. uh, that they might not have been able to pass otherwise. Is that the case or is it really their intent with these, you know, oh, you're going to get, you're going to have to wear glasses if you play games too much. Uh, is that a genuine concern? Like it seems wacky. So China's government as a whole has always been Uh, wanting to promote sort of healthy development of an industry. So again, whether it's games or something else, they've always uh, sort of been um, in, in the driving seat of what healthy means. And so for gaming, what healthy means is that, you know, people aren't becoming addicted to games or they aren't spending uh, huge amounts of money on games or that it isn't ruining their life. And for example, on, on with TV shows, it's about promoting the right sort of content so that people aren't getting... Um, you know, maybe like anti-China ideas from the head or something to that effect. There's right. always a different definition of, of what healthy means in, the, in each industry. And then regulators are given control to sort of um, make that, that industry healthy. And so actually, when you look at the development of games in China, even going back to, you know, 2000, even the late 90s, gaming addiction has always been, and, and sort of healthy gaming has always been a concern. And, you know, console gaming was banned because of that um, Back in 2000. Just to make sure, sorry to, because I'm not sure I understand all of this, but part of the healthy uh, uh, gaming is making sure the, the games are uh, uh, being, or whatever is being portrayed is in accordance with uh, Chinese communist values, right? And that that's kind of a catch-all yeah. for, uh, it's almost part of the propaganda machine, I, I would venture to say. Essentially, I mean, there, there are certain things you can put in games, certain things you can't. Right. China doesn't have an age rating system uh, like the ESRB or PEGI. So essentially, it's uh, a list of rules that you have to abide by if you want to release a game in China. So to, to, give, to give a very quick example, uh, you know, blood um, in China, uh, so too much blood, like blood splats and, and stuff has, has to be removed from games. And if there is blood in game, um, it's usually kind of green as opposed to red, just because they don't want, yeah. you know, excessive violence or... You know, We had that in, in uh, Germany for the longest time. Yeah. I think now they've relented a little bit, but that's, they yeah, it, it might be a little bit heavy handed, but that's kind of harmless, um, I would say. There was a great example of that. If you look at the old German version of Half-Life, mm -hmm. that's always one of my favorite examples of um, when games have to be changed because of... Uh, a blood-related yeah. rule. <laughs> I remember a lot of those PC games from the 90s having to, you know, make sweat instead of blood and stuff like that. I think Mortal <laughs> Kombat was the sweat one. Um, all right, so m trying to seize that that market, I'm guessing Fortnite will be a lot bigger once it's available officially in China. Um, we did an episode last week, a bonus one, where we talk about, talked about BlizzCon and uh, the, the announcement of Diablo Immortal, uh, which is being developed, co-developed uh, with NetEase by Blizzard and, um, well, going to be a version of Diablo on mobile. Uh, a lot of people uh, suspected that this would be a play for these kinds of games that already exist. Maybe they aren't the highest quality. 
but they are incredibly popular in China. Some of them are actually being developed by NetEase and, and others, uh, specifically uh, action RPGs. How, what do you uh, think of this? Is it like, how big can this be in China? Is it really a, I don't want to say a cash grab because that, makes it seem like a nefarious intent. Uh, but certainly all games are made to made to to make money. And this looks like it could be a huge amount of money. Is it the kind of thing that you think it's a gold rush, we can't not do it? Uh, or is it more, well, we love to do make games on mobile, let's do this and it will be cool. Like how much of the attraction is the giant gold mine that China is on mobile games, Daniel? So China is the, the largest mobile games market in the world. It's the largest games market overall in, in the world uh, when you combine PC as well, even console. So, you know, the opportunity there is, is huge. When you, when you look at the temporary game approval uh, freeze at the moment, that is something that will be coming to an end shortly. It's just a case of, of restructuring the, um, the regulators and, and implementing new reforms. So once that's done, you know, games will start coming out there again. And so... Uh, I mean, Blizzard have said themselves they want to look at expanding their franchises to different platforms, mobile being a key one. And so I think, you know, partnering with NetEase on this, they are a, a developer that has experience in that area. I think a lot of people were confused, you know, when they saw other NetEase games that are very similar and, and you know, call them like a ripoff or... Um, the reskin uh, like, is oh, something yeah, that people said. Yeah, or something like that. Essentially, the way to think of it is that, you know, NetEase is sort of the... Dynasty Warriors uh, producer or, or the the guys who made, um, uh, is it Game of War or, or whatever machines they made? Because um, when you look at games like that um, or developers like that, they're essentially creating versions of, of an already successful uh, game for, you know, different IP. Uh, so, for example, when Final Fantasy came to mobile, Final Fantasy New Empire, that was essentially a developer who already had a very popular game IP, creative version with... Final Fantasy, and the same with Dynasty Stories, where they sort of create new versions of that, but with a different um, IP on, on top. So it's not a reskin as such, it's more a case of um, they've got this expertise, and they've got these assets, and they've got this knowledge, and they're now building that on top of uh, they're now building that into a Diablo uh, mobile game, which is similar in essence. Uh, as to how successful it can be, I think, you know, there's this, it's shown that those kind of games do perform quite well in China. I think there's a question as to how big it can be in the West. I think we've seen from the reaction that, at least among you know hardcore uh, Diablo fans, it's it's not really going to be something that's played. Uh, but yeah, I think you know when you look past that and look into the Asian markets, there's certainly an audience there. It's mm. just uh, you know how well it's marketed and, and developed. I I guess uh, I have market. a I have a hard time understanding how much of this move is dictated by, you know wanting to make money and how much of it is dictated by well there's this new platform and this new audience and we should serve that as well which i guess maybe they're they're the same thing and two different ways of of saying the same thing but um nate maybe from a business point of view when investors hear something like this i think we've seen that um activision blizzard share shares uh, went down significantly given the reception of the game in the west but surely the complaint being this is a cash grab for you know uh, the the east 
this is going to be making money. That should make investors happy, right? Like, is this something that investors would be pushing for? Or I don't know. I, I there's, Yeah. Yeah. I Go mean, ahead. basically, investors like it when the the things they've invested in make lots of money. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the problems that, you know, you always get leveled at a game or at a, at a developer is that they've, you know, they've sold out. They've sold out to the man. You know, the shareholders have demanded these these changes and it's commercially driven and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, that's part of the problem you have when you are a big company with shareholders. You kind of have to do things that, that they want. Um, and also, you know, it's worth noting that public companies that have shareholders, um, you know, they have to be reporting growth potential over a three-month period. They're not in it for the long haul. So you can't say, well, this game's going to do really well in about 10 years' time. Um, when the audience has matured and people understand what it is, they want to know, okay, what's it going to do in 90 days and how are you going to get there? Sometimes but, but the quickest Diablo way Immortal not to... is not going to be released in 90 days. This is, you know, probably a year away, uh, maybe more. Maybe that's why the, the stock went down. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's 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 possible. I mean, we, we've seen a lot of weird market reactions. I mean, the most recent that I remember was when um, it was the Battlefront 2 loot drops yes um the, the loot boxes th controversy yeah i mean that that caused a real blip in the market uh, as well and part of the problem i think is that investors don't necessarily know what loot boxes are you mm. know it's quite hard for them sometimes to get their head around why people would would do that they're worried about the fact that it may be conflated with gambling and a lot of investors have money from um you know they hold money from funds that have uh, uh, that prohibit their their money being used for things like uh for vices so sex right, tech right. and gambling crypto uh, on occasion as well so there's lots of things that that can cause this and um it's it's difficult to predict yeah well i mean i guess i'm not sure i see things more clearly um but certainly the the size of the chinese market is a factor um i guess my last question would be uh, to daniel again um you kind of already answered it, but this is something that can be, I guess, okay, here's the way, I'm trying to, to think how to formulate the question so it's clear. Is this move uh, by Blizzard, and as you've mentioned, Alan Adham has, has said that they are looking at mobile versions of all of their IPs. So it's not just Diablo, Diablo is the first one. Is this something that can end up uh, defining the company in, in in the near future, we don't know what would happen in the in the long term, but in the near future, can this be something so big that it would define the company uh, to the exclusion, or at least that it would eclipse uh, PC and, to an extent, console games, or not? Um, uh, so uh, go ahead, Daniel. I'll I'll get back to Nate afterwards. Okay. Um... Yeah, it's a good question, and I think that, you know, for Blizzard at least, the hope would be that, and I think, you know, they, they would want this to, all of their products stand on their own, and essentially, you know, if you're looking for um, a mobile Diablo experience or PC Diablo or console one, uh, you know, you have that, and I think they try to demonstrate that at uh, BlizzCon with, you know, okay, well, now Diablo's on Switch, and you've got the PC version, and now there's a mobile one coming. I think... One thing to keep in mind is that, that Blizzard has always looked at China uh, as sort of an expansion strategy for its games. 
And so they actually have a, a joint venture with NetEase in China to distribute, you know, World of Warcraft, to distribute um, Overwatch or whatever yeah. game. Yeah, Hearthstone. And so, um, you know, with this, essentially, Blizzard does have a, a good portion of the PC market in China through NetEase, but they want to expand that. And when you look to expand that, the, the obvious um, idea is, is mobile. And so that will um, open up a, you know, a new avenue for, for Blizzard in China and Asia itself. And so I think when you look at it that way, um, you know, that it, it's, it's bringing on this new audience or sort of, you know, maybe this audience has migrated from PC to mobile in China uh, and that used to play Blizzard games, that, you know, because I think Warcraft itself, the original, was very popular back in, back in the day uh, in China itself on, on PC. Mm. But um, so, I mean, that's certainly a draw. Uh, just, just having this sort of Blizzard IP has come to uh, mobile in, in China. But, but I think, as I said earlier, you know, they want to have products for basically every consumer, every audience, every market. I think that's what they're trying to do with this, with this plan. Right. That kind of reassures me. It means, and we'll see in the numbers from Activision Blizzard, that the, the, the existing market is pretty big still. Nate, you wanted to add something about this idea that it could, mobile could eclipse uh, the, the other games uh, in importance in the company, maybe in the decision-making? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've basically seen that mobile will eclipse pretty much everything if given enough time. I mean, it's not really that long ago that people used to talk about uh, Facebook as a non-mobile platform. Uh, you know, they had a few mobile apps and now mobile is the vast majority of that company's um, revenue. Everything's gone mobile. So I, I kind of feel that I sort of actually see mobile devices as a little bit like black holes for everything you know whether it's absorbing <laughs> different devices you know it's it's your camera your gps it's your ipod it's your uh, camcorder it's all of these things they're all products we used to have different physical devices for now the phone is just that one device and i see exactly the same thing happening in entertainment exactly the same thing happening in video games so yeah i have no no doubt in my mind at all well, I have doubts. Uh, I think that the difference there is that the users all migrate to mobile for something like Facebook uh, or, you know, 90% or whatever. Uh, but I think the, the use, it's, those are essentially two different experiences. If you're gaming on mobile and if you're gaming on PC or on console, and even, you know, console and PC are different. They're much closer to each other than they are to mobile. But I think they're different and that they are serving different needs. And that's why I don't think mobile is going to eclipse uh, gaming in general, even if mobile games become appealing to core gamers to an extent, which I think is possible. The you know, past isn't necessarily precedent. It doesn't, it's not because mobile games have traditionally not been very appealing to core gamers from the PC world, that it can't happen in the future, I still think there's something different about PCs and consoles, which are more appealing to a certain type of gameplay and control scheme and precision. And that means that it is a different experience. And when you look at the results from Activision Blizzard, um, the the you know, Blizzard's numbers, if you look at revenue, has grown tremendously year over year this year because of different factors. But overall, um, revenue and, uh, if I'm not mistaken, profit are comparable to what's happening with King, which Activision acquired um, a while ago. So it's not like 
mobile for Activision Blizzard, at least, is making currently so much money that the other ones, they're going to not bother with them, which I think is, a, is the fear of a lot of people. A lot of people are saying, well, if you're making, you know, 100 million on mobile and 1 million on PC games, then why bother with the PC games? It doesn't really look like this is what's happening. And if you're making 100 million on mobile and 100 million on PC games, I think you're going to keep making both. And as you said, Daniel, this is they're trying to address every piece of the market and grow in other markets they're not addressing at the moment. But that doesn't mean that the existing uh, markets will stop being addressed all of a sudden, especially since I think Blizzard developers and employees are PC games uh, fans. Um, Nate, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I just think that there's an interesting other trend going on that might be uh, sort of worth noting that uh, that I actually mentioned on, on my own podcast the other day, which is that if you look at what's happening in the PC and console world, consoles have become much, 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 much more like PCs. You know, they've broken out from their predictable like eight year upgrade cycle um, we're seeing mid-season upgrades. We've now got an Xbox One and a One S and a One X all on the you know on sale at the same time, um, near enough. And yet, and so tablets, I, I think in particular, as an extension of mobile gaming, have basically become the new consoles in many ways. You just press the game you want to play, and it it basically loads up. Maybe there's a little bit of multiplayer possibility there as well, but the the basic simplicity is there, and you're not downloading 50 gigabyte day one patches, um, which are necessary for for a lot of games. And that, I think, is going to be a huge... A big, probably a bigger shift in trend than people maybe um, appreciate, particularly now you see that you're getting PC-class unrestricted uh, games on things like the iPad now. Um, I think that's going to make a big difference. Yeah, I agree. Technically, the capabilities are there, but I still think the control scheme and you know the way you use them, sitting at a desk or uh, chilling on your... Uh, uh, couch with a big screen and a controller in your hands changes all of it and you know it's like it's like having a notebook and having a little post-it you don't use them for the same thing so i think this is the best analogy i can take i I suppose so i think the one thing that i think is that that's that's a lot of what people said about newspapers and that you know there's something great about sitting at a table on a sunday morning reading (laughs) the newspaper over a tea and and like people's habits change and now we we read our news on mobile on trains we get it delivered that way so i think i don't know yeah i i I, I, maybe maybe you're right uh maybe long term that's what's happening um i still think and maybe that's an old person's view. I still think PC and, and console games are have a, a certain quality that if you go by the uh, reaction to the Diablo 4, uh, I'm sorry, Diablo Immortal announcement, uh, people are very much uh, uh, attached to. But maybe that's the dying cry of a dying breed. I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. I honestly don't think so. And uh, and as long as some of those people are working at Blizzard, they'll still be making um, PC games as well. And and the most important thing in all of this conversation is PC games are still making a lot of money. So anyway, uh, quickly, let's address a couple of other things. Uh, Blizzard, Activision Blizzard announced that uh, Destiny 2 was underperforming while Call of Duty Black Ops 4 was doing really well. The underperforming, I think, has been, uh, has led to a lot of commentary from a lot of 
YouTubers who may or may not be angry and take a, a, every opportunity they get to scream at the man and at the business. And I think the reality of this announcement is that them, maybe I'm mistaken, you, you guys can tell me, they admitted that they messed up by messing up Destiny 2 the way it came out last year and that people were not, you know, people had given up on it. And while uh, Forsaken, the expansion, has fulfilled 99% of the expectations of the actual playing base, the actual gamers, um, the problem is they messed up so bad with the, the, the one that came out last year that there aren't enough people interested anymore to make it a financially interesting proposition. So, of course, they said they were going to be looking at different ways of monetizing things. We've seen um, additional... Uh, a microtransaction, a cosmetic microtransaction being added, and it's not unlikely we're going to see more of those in the future, but the community is super happy with the state of the game, and Bungie has stated this is how they want to keep developing the game. I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, I don't think it means all of a sudden, I mean, one thing I riled against was the expansion pack policy from last year at the launch of the expansion, which I think was a real hindrance to the adoption of that latest expansion in an attempt to generate as much money as possible. It was misguided. And I think they're taking, they're not idiots. I think they're taking away the correct information from those uh, uh, um, those things that happened with the launch of the expansion. And I'm not surprised at all that it is underperforming because they've burnt, you know, they, they fooled people too many times, not with issues with money, but with issues with uh, trusting them, trusting Bungie to make the, the game they should. Um, it was game design issues, not monetization issues. And maybe you could argue, you know, Destiny 2 Vanilla was dictated to be more casual friendly by the higher ups at Activision uh, who demanded the game appeal to more people. I guess it's possible. I really don't think so. I think Bungie intended to make the game more casual friendly and that severely misfired. Um so anyway, we'll see what happens there. I'm curious to see what will happen with Destiny 3, but I think we're going to see a Destiny 3 where we will be losing all of our progress again. It's going to be a hard reset, maybe not next year, but the year after that. Um, it's going to be a hard reset for Destiny again, which they're in a tough, they're in a tough situation now because expansions only speak to people who are invested in the game for the most part some people might return but many won't um and since they've already done a hard reset with destiny 2 can they do it yet again i think they can because if the game is in a good state they can just port over the other players they will still want to be playing if they are enjoying the game which they very much are right now um so anyway this this made a lot of noise i think it was misunderstood by a lot of people who kind of half wanted to misunderstand the what Activision Blizzard was saying. So anyway, I don't know if you guys have any comment on this or if we move on. I think you're right. Um, generally speaking, I think I think when you look at Destiny, uh, when it first launched, it was the the biggest uh, new IP launch of all time. Uh, then, and it's essentially been on a steady decline since. Mm. 
And when you look at how Destiny 2 is received, and then even Forsaken, yes, it fixed a few things, but as you say, you know, it, it's burned out a lot of people. And the game is, is nowhere near as big as it once was. And I think, you know, Activision, uh, especially Activision, but Bungie as well, are going to be looking into how they can uh, either bring back that user base or, or target kind of a, a new player base. So do you ex- would you expect uh, microtransactions that would be pushing the limit uh, on, on what's acceptable to try and monetize the existing player base? Or do you think they won't try to burn more bridges? Uh, I think they'll they'll probably try to focus on what comes next mm. uh, in the Destiny franchise. I think they, they know how true it's being received and, and then what's going on with the expansion. I don't think there's much that they can do right now that would change things. All right. Um, okay, let's uh, move on very quickly. A couple of um, the, the uh, highest selling games in the US, this is very specific, on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One Lifetime. Uh, this comes uh, on, the heel, on the heels of the announcement that Red Dead Redemption 2 has sold 17 million copies, or at least sold in, um, meaning copies shipped, not necessarily in the hands of the consumers, but that's still a significant number. And GTA 5 has sold 100 million units. This is mind-boggling. But the highest-selling games on PlayStation 4 are Grand Theft Auto V, of course, Call of Duty World War II, Black Ops 3, Dest- uh, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. So on PlayStation 4, you have three Call of Duty games in the top four. Uh, NBA 2K18, that's lifetime sales, remember, in the US again. So it's a specific market. Um, Battlefield 1, and only in seventh place do we see God of War 2018, which is a platform exclusive. I would have thought that platform exclusives would sell a lot better on a specific platform. You have a couple of others, including a um, another Call of duty in that top 10 and if you look at the xbox one again grand theft auto 5 uh, call of duty world war 2 black ops 3 infinite warfare uh, battlefield 1 uh, star wars F- battlefront call of duty advanced warfare and only in eighth place halo 5 guardians and then you have destiny 2 in ninth place um it's kind of i i would have i could have swore that specific consoles would sell, you know, console exclusives more than uh, non-console exclusives. I guess it's it's marketing or the the those games, the Call of Duties and sports games and games like those are just the games that people buy, you know, we always have this image of the gamer that is a casual gamer, he buys a couple of games a year or she um couple of games a year and those are the ones that sell hugely uh bigly and and not the console exclusives, which are more core gamer e maybe like Halo or God of War. I don't know what else to say about this, but if you have anything, well, I think else you've to... nailed it. Yeah, I think you basically nailed it. Is that these games are like clockwork? They come out once a year in November. The same people buy them every year. It's it's predictable. You know, that's it. It's kind of boring actually when you think about it. But that's basically what's going on. Mm. And essentially, when you look at the charts in Europe. It's the exact same, but uh, remove NBA and replace it with FIFA. Right. Yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> and and that, that's what it comes down to. Yes, platform exclusives do well and they drive hardware sales and, and software sales. But uh, you know, really, it's, it's those mass market games that uh, are at the forefront of um, driving the console market. And so it's. Can really... I throw? Oh, I want to throw Nate. one. 
I just want to throw one other thing in there is that we th there's been another change if you think about it, which is that these aren't just console exclusives now or console bonuses. Is that you actually get retailer exclusives, so you can buy something from Amazon and get. Uh, you know, some kind of in-game DLC that you don't get if you buy it from Best Buy in the US or if you buy it from Argos here in, in the UK or something like that or Tesco. Um, and that's changed it because that's not always necessarily platform exclusive. It's like a it's like a, a third tier of exclusivity. Mm. Um, but that's that's uh, brick and mortar stores trying to remain. Ex although Amazon does that as well. Uh, so it's any platform trying to grab your attention in dollars i guess yeah i suppose yeah. so i think uh, one thing to note about this sure. well just sorry really quickly patrick um is uh, that you know these are paid games so 60 dollars or whatever um it doesn't include uh, free to play so fortnite for example has been a, a big driver this year right. of, of console hardware um and it's not on this chart because you know you don't pay anything for it you pay in game um, but, you know, that would probably be, in terms of downloads, one of the top downloaded games. In fact, for Nintendo, they said that in, in one of the investor briefings that uh, this, half of all owners on the Switch had downloaded Fortnite. And, you know, that's the Switch. It, it didn't come out on the Switch until very recently. And already half the people who have a Switch already own a copy of Fortnite. So Yeah, it's, that's... Um, and, and actually, on the Switch, there were a couple of people who were... Uh, telling me some really interesting things. I can't remember if I mentioned it already, but the, the idea that the Switch is going to slow down sales-wise this year, which was a concern, I think, for me, because they didn't have major uh, releases except for uh, Smash Bros., which, uh, honestly, it, I think the people who want Smash Brothers already have a Switch. But um, there's, first of all, it's an ideal machine to for your kids to play Fortnite because they can use it uh, without hogging the screen and um, you also might be interested in buying more than one because you might have more than one kid who's interested in playing Fortnite so they might make up for the uh, some of the the uh, sales numbers losses that they would have by not having big titles released for the the casual audience by having, you know, the the brother has one, so the little sister wants one too. I guess it, it might happen. And finally, Pokemon Go is doing uh, a lot of money, is making a lot of money. $73 million in revenue this October. This October. That's amazing. It, who would have thought, like, Pokemon Go, is that the hype for Pokemon Let's Go on the Switch? Like, where do these people come from? I don't, I... I don't understand. Uh, I guess it's everyone. It's just not me for that amount of money. And it's, you know, <laughs> increased over last year. Um, the, it's mostly Japan and the US. That's like two thirds of the revenue. But still, I don't understand that game. And by the way, um, the the uh, Ingress has been relaunched as Ingress Prime. That was a precursor of uh, Pokemon Go um, by the same company. So I don't, I just, this is foreign to me. I don't get it. I, I I I agree. I can't understand it either because this is people spending huge amounts of money in that game. And are these existing players or new players? Because if you're an existing player, you must have spent a hell of a lot of money at this point in that game. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, the only thing that I can think is that because of this staggered release of new Pokemon uh, in that game, there's an ability for them to keep having people come, you know, coming back. 
like they keep releasing the new regions of of Pokemon. And right. maybe if you're if you did actually catch them all and you were just leaving it on your phone waiting for the next batch to come along, then maybe that's enough to get you back again. But it wasn't enough to keep me. Although it, I should say, it is enough to keep my my slightly younger brother um, who still <laughs> plays on a on a daily basis. Well, clearly, yeah, there are other you know people who play it and you're right it's releasing new pokemon all the time um it's i don't i know a lot of people in the audience play it all the time but it's a collection game i guess you you collect the stuff and it's pretty casual and i don't know it's just and and i'm confident not to drag us back into the conversation about mobile but i'm really confident that we're not going to have all of a sudden pc games disappear because all of these things are making money and uh, there are a lot of people who play pokemon go and a lot of you know it can be true that people play pokemon go and other people or even the same people play other games like it's not it's not like everyone is all of a sudden rushing to well maybe i shouldn't speak too quickly but um, <laughs> anyway uh all right let's talk about uh let's talk quickly about uh the xo18 the xbox festival that was happening in mexico city uh this weekend there were a number of announcements by microsoft um the, the biggest one i think is the announcement of the uh purchase of two studios in exile and obsidian um by microsoft And those are studios that have been making, interestingly, Kickstarter, uh, uh, successful Kickstarter, kickstarted games. Um, and they are very much Western RPGs, uh, core gamer RPGs uh, that are, you know, uh, uh, very much beloved by the core audience that they are <laughs> designed for. Um, it's, I mean, of course, Microsoft could do things in the wrong way with those studios, but they seem like they have been uh, very much on a buying spree and understanding that what they needed were games and exclusive games, even though, as we've seen earlier, those games aren't the ones that sell the most on, on a platform. They are system sellers, and that's what you want people to buy your platform for. Um, that's just an additional announcement uh to the many uh studios they have purchased and announced already this is great uh it's not going to bear fruit until a couple of years down the line but yeah go microsoft more per studios purchases i would say it was obsidian that did um one of the south park games wasn't it i think yeah that was back in the day before ubisoft took it back in house but yes this is one yeah. of the they also made if i'm not mistaken it's them who made uh fallout new vegas uh yes. but their latest ones are more you know isometric top down um view like super old school core uh uh western style rpgs i think that's what they've been doing now but But you're right, you know, it, it's not the only thing they can do. Uh, New Vegas and South, South Park are great examples of what they can also, their versatility. Uh, it's not, it's only, not necessarily all going to be pillars of eternity forever. Um, so... Other than that, um, Crackdown 3 was announced for February 2019. They showed off a, a 5v5 multiplayer mode, which seemed... I mean, this game was disappointing many times where they've shown it did before. Uh, I think this demonstration was kind of brought it back up a little bit. Uh, the destructible environment, thanks to the Azure cloud 
whatever, that was a little bit gimmicky, but the destructible environment is uh, different, so maybe it's going to be fun. I think it rolls it back up to not a system seller, but like a double-A title that could be a, a, a fun thing for owners of the Xbox. And the biggest thing, I think, is how much they were selling the idea of Game Pass. It was Game Pass all the time, like Game Pass, Game Pass, Game Pass. Managed to mm -hmm. say this without uh, <laughs> stuttering. Uh, like, they have a promotion. It's one buck for during the holiday season to get a month of Game Pass. They have Player Unknown's Battleground, which is in, in, included in Game Pass next week. Uh, Crackdown 3, of course, is going to be included. Crackdown 1 is free on Xbox now. I don't think it's part of Game Pass, but um, it's like they are really going hard of that on that idea of a gaming subscription, which I'm guessing is because that's where the money is. Um, but I was still a little bit surprised that they pushed it so hard. Um, is there a competitive advantage, I guess? Daniel, is there is there a specific reason why they were trying to sell Game Pass so hard this uh, during this event? I think when you look at Microsoft's strategy over the past few years and obviously in the future, uh, it, it's all revolving around the idea of essentially games as a service and not maybe in the traditional sense that we know, uh, you know, in terms of microtransactions and stuff, but but the, the fact that games can be played anywhere, anytime, any platform, uh, any model, um, you know, you've heard like Netflix of games and stuff like that. So that's essentially what games, uh, Game Pass is. At the same time, you know, you can still buy games, um, Yeah, you know, $60 or whatever. If you want uh, to. And, then and, and by the way, sorry to. to interrupt, but they did mention uh, maybe trying to reassure their partners. They did mention that people who have Game Pass actually end up buying more games outside of Game Pass. Yeah. Uh, that's a little bit convenient, but I don't think they would be saying it if it wasn't verifiable. So... Yeah, it's it's true because Game Pass just help with you know word of word of mouth and, and stuff like that, and into right. getting more people in games, especially their multiplayer games. Uh, so someone might subscribe to Game Pass and then perhaps they would buy it themselves once their subscription runs out, or they would have friends that buy it. Mm. Um, or, or they had, they try a game they wouldn't have tried otherwise and get interested in a new genre yeah, or stuff exactly. like that. Yeah. And and so when you look at the overall strategy, even um, stuff they recently announced, so Project X Cloud, which is their online streaming uh, service, um, it, it's all about you know how a game's being distributed and how can and, and where can gamers play games. So whether it's through the cloud, whether it's through a subscription service, whether it's through a traditional you know going to a shop and paying sixty dollars for a game, um, being able to do that is important. And then being able to play on any platform, so whether it's a PC. Um, or Xbox, or even mobile, or, or maybe there won't be a need for hardware in the future with streaming. Um, and so, sorry, dedicated hardware, I mean. Um, and, you know, there's there's all these different ways that you can acquire games, play games, and, and, and sort of, you know, have fun. I think that's what Microsoft is trying to position themselves. Uh, so that's, that's how they're trying to position themselves mm. as sort of a games distributor um, in the future. And that's, um, that's really interesting. I guess uh, seeing streaming as the future it makes Game Pass kind of a stepping stone to that to that future. And the more you get people used to the idea of Game Pass, the easier it is for them to take that other step towards streaming. I, I never really thought of it that way. Yeah, and I mean, you, you have to think as well that one of the reasons why Netflix is, is very successful um, is because of content they have and their content strategy. 
And that's why you see Microsoft buying a lot of these studios or investing in their first party uh, or even third party partnerships, for example, with PUBG, because they they want to be able to say, well, look, we have all the infrastructure, we have the ability to uh, stream games or, or um, subscribe to Game Pass or, or just buy games normally. But then we also have the content to back that up with, you know, maybe these niche games which would appeal to this sort of audience, but also these really big games like PUBG that would appeal to, you know, a, a much audience that's actually thank you another really interesting uh aspect of this netflix is really good at at identifying niche audiences that are really passionate about certain types of shows or that will really get into you know they have all the data about the actors the directors all of that and it seems to me like uh, companies like in exile and obsidian are exactly the same uh uh in fit that mindset that you're going to have companies that fit a certain audience um, specifically and those are your core fans that you need to cater to in order to uh, get your service running and then you expand slowly to more casual gamer that you could target anyway without those specific uh, types of titles in the case of gaming or um, series of, or movies in the case of Netflix so yeah that that fits in together pretty well and it's essentially about, about reaching the largest audience possible and then these are the ways they're doing it finally uh, the last announcement was uh, the fact that we're going to have mouse and keyboard uh, enabled on Xbox One uh, well next week so this week very quickly it's going to start with Fortnite and Warframe I'm not sure consoles are super fitted to mouse and keyboard I guess you could hook it up to your uh, uh, computer monitor and play on your desk. Uh, Razer is going to announce very soon some dedicated hardware. I'm guessing it's going to be like put a mouse and keyboard on your um, on your lap when you're in your couch. It's Those have existed in the past. Um, the, the concern about uh, fairness on the same platform are, of course, warranted because you're more precise with a mouse and keyboard than you are with a controller. Uh, Epic addressed this by saying, we're going to matchmake people who are using mouse and keyboard with other people that are using mouse and keyboard, which basically fixes the issue. I suspect most uh, developers will take the same approach. Um, and, and it should be noted as well that in order for a game to support mouse and keyboard, the, that functionality has to be coded in by the developer. It doesn't all of a sudden enable mouse and keyboard on all of the games. I think on, on that front, what we're going to see is maybe not this generation, but next generation is sort of a, a universal version of a game uh, on Xbox platforms. So whether it's a, a PC version or an Xbox version, you know, it can be played um, similar to how on PC you can just put a controller in. On Xbox, you can just plug in a um, a mouse and keyboard, and that'll apply across whatever uh, distribution platform Microsoft uses next gen. So whether it's smart TVs or um, yeah, Xbox or, or PC, uh, and whether it's streaming or you know, um, Game Pass or, or just the standard distribution uh, distribution version. Um, you know, being able to play however you want is, and wherever you want, is going to be a key component. So let me ask you this: How long until we see a, a tiny, compact WASD keyboard with just like nine keys and mouse that we can uh, socket in a, uh, a, a mobile, any type of mobile or tablet to play those games in that way as well? 
that could lead me to play, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's um, with xCloud, they, they said they're looking into a mobile version. Right. So yeah. being able to stream games to, you know, your iPhone or iPad, uh, it's certainly something that will be there. And then, you know, being able to use a wireless controller or even touchscreen if, if they have that option, I think that's essentially what you're going to see. And it's, it's going to be that, you know, you can play those core games wherever you want, however you want. Uh, yeah. We're still a bit away from that, but it, it's sort mm-hmm. of where everyone... Um, it's sort of where Microsoft want to be, maybe the end of all this. I think, yeah, it's a little bit away. I think it's a great idea in theory, but in practice, we haven't really seen this work out. We, it's already possible to have a, you know, Bluetooth controller that would work really well with a, a, a mobile uh, platform or a phone. But it just doesn't work. Maybe it's because the games aren't there yet. Once you you can actually use the actual games that need a controller, then it can work. Or maybe once respected developers try to do proper games on those platforms for the core gamers that are used to games on PCs or on consoles, at that point you get people interested in that because the games are what they're looking for on those platforms. I don't know what the... All of those could be possible, but... All right, uh, let's move on to a uh, series of very quick news tidbits. Uh, Of course, we have a bunch of releases happening in the uh, few weeks around this episode. We have Tetris Effect, uh, Hitman 2 coming out, uh, I think, tomorrow. Uh, Battlefield 5, I think, is next week or maybe the week after. Um, So the end of year season is coming uh, kind of to a close. The round they get out, I would say, is going to be uh, Smash Brothers in early December, right after the uh, Game Awards uh, night, which, by the way, how are they going to... They're not going to include Smash Brothers into their considerations for Game of the Year? I don't know how that's going to work, but uh, we'll see i guess maybe it's gonna get pushed to next year um uh, that's an interesting one uh the the um uh, game director for final fantasy 15 has quit square enix uh and the remaining uh, character dlcs have been canceled there were three remaining or four uh ones that were supposed to come out only one is going to be coming out uh, fairly soon Got is it. the one that was yeah w- what happened there like I know Absolutely final- gutted. He <laughs> he totally made that game brilliant. I think um, his influence and the DLC that they released was was pretty good. And I'm absolutely gutted that they've that he's gone because it really calls the rest of this, uh, you know, what they had planned for Final F- Fantasy 15 into question, which is just. I mis- think d- you know. Depressing. I think the game the game didn't do as well as they had hoped. Uh, I, I think it that's did very clear. well though. Did it, it did very well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really? Okay. Whether it did enough, I don't know, because mm. they had they had some problems in their earnings recently. But uh, but the game sold very very well. It's I guess it's very. I mean, uh, to be fair, Tabata Hajime Tabata, who is the game director, was called in to finish that game because it it they couldn't couldn't finish it, and he was yeah. called in to basically say, "All right, we're if I'm not mistaken, I think that's him." Um, we need to to get that game shipped because we've been at it for like 15 years at this point. I'm exaggerating a tiny bit. But the fact that, I mean, it seems like it's an uh, amicable uh, parting of ways. So I don't think it was too much of a huge issue there. But still, I'm 
very surprised that he's leaving. He's leaving to make a new company, uh, create a new company to make other games. But I don't know the the suddenness of it and the the fact that they're not making the other uh, the additional DLC must mean that the the money isn't there in the existing DLC they've already released. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's a real shame. And but I think part of the problem with Final Fantasy 15 in particular is that its development was so long, so protracted. Right. You know, we're talking just I think it was announced in like 2006 or something ridiculous originally well, as part of the Final Fantasy was 13 like, series. Yeah, exactly. Originally it was Final Fantasy 13, which one was it? Versus or whatever versus, the name was. Versus yeah. 13, yeah. And yeah. I was actually at the Tokyo Game Show announcement <laughs> when they announced that it was being changed from 13 to 15. Um, and, you know, there was this whole new level of excitement for the game at that point. Mm. Um, and then more recently they released the mobile version, Pocket Edition, which they then weirdly all also brought to xbox and playstation 4 i think <laughs> um you know it's 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 a bit strange but it could have it could have gone on for a long time this this franchise and mm-hmm. yeah i'm you could probably tell i'm i'm gutted yeah i mean i i don't think final fantasy is going anywhere uh square enix is definitely going to keep developing final fantasy games the name recognition is too big for it not to continue um i'm wondering how much effort they're going to be putting behind the next one, though, because I don't think they can keep uh, envisioning those, uh, uh, you know, pyramid-like projects that will take up the effort of the entire company for 10 years. Um, But I don't think Final Fantasy is is disappearing. But maybe the next ones are not going to be what we expect of, uh, of Final Fantasy as a game, but... Um, what else? Uh, if you haven't seen uh, KDA, the uh, pop girl song by by Riot Games, like it takes League of Legends characters and puts them in a girls band like setting in a video, a music video, which is incredibly well designed like it's i couldn't stop watching it for like the music is poppy and fun and it you know it's an earworm it's going to get in your brain um but the the visuals of it were incredible i wanted to mention it because it is really striking and i thought it was an amazing job by uh, whoever ended up making that for riot games maybe them the, the the artists of the company itself i don't think so um but yeah it is really engrossing and as a marketing tool i have not cared about league of legends for almost ever and that was just brought it back to my attention very very uh, strongly so that was really cool beat saber is coming out uh, on playstation vr on november 20th uh, so that is a game that is highly regarded uh, as a vr game it's essentially a dancing game with lightsabers from Star Wars, except it's not from Star Wars, but very highly regarded game. I might uh, get my PlayStation VR hooked up again when it comes out, and it will give me a chance to try out uh, Astro Bot Rescue Mission, which people have been raving about as well. Um, Fallout 76 is going to be out, and there might be a lot of bugs, maybe a little bit of hacking. Bethesda says no, but bugs definitely. Uh, Of course they will. It's a Bethesda game. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, bugs, for sure. Hacking, uh, there's a lot of... I'll uh, I'll leave that discussion for another time. But Bethesda is saying, yes, there are things happening locally, but things are secured on the server side, so there won't be hacking. 
but um, there were some claims there. Bugs, however, they have said there will be bugs in that game, which is concerning. But like if if Bethesda games always have bugs when they're released, but when Bethesda warns you that there are going to be big bugs, it's like, whoa, okay. I've, I've actually heard that the day one patch is going to be bigger than the game itself. <laughs> that wouldn't be surprising. I'm not uh, even kidding. What? I'm not even kidding. I think it's like the, the game, uh, the, the day one patch is bigger than the game yeah. install. Uh, Bethesda, we love you anyway. That's funny how some companies get a pass for these things when I think it's it's okay, it's fine, but it's funny which ones get a pass and which ones don't. Um, I think Nintendo gets a lot of passes on a lot of things. Um, but, you know, we love them, so... Uh, the Sims 4 is getting a first-person view. I'm not sure why, but it seems weirdly enticing to me. Um, I guess the Sims 4 is still going strong. And uh, DayZ is finally getting into beta, which is very close to release. The game has been in alpha for five years. Uh, what that tells me is maybe we'll see also other games that have been in alpha forever um, in the future. Uh, wink, wink, star citizen. Uh, what else? What else? A couple of additional tidbits. Uh, the, Parisian, the Parisian team for Overwatch, for the Overwatch League, has a name. It's called Paris Eternal. I like that name. I'm okay with the logo. I thought the uh, unveil video was kind of poor, but uh, I'll, I'm ready to cheer for the Paris Eternal. I really like this idea that the Overwatch League is associating its teams with cities. I, that does wonders for fandom, I think. So looking forward to season two, which is going to start early next year. And finally, do you remember those uh, DDoSs that uh, attacked many of the online gaming services back in the end of 2013 when the new consoles were being launched? Well, they caught the guy. Uh, the derp trolling on Twitter person, I'm not going to mention his name, um, but they caught the guy and he's going to plead guilty and uh, probably going to, he is in trouble. And I wanted to mention it, you know, it's old news, but I wanted to mention the fact that he didn't get away with it. Uh, the law, I say, as I remember uh, Cowboys mentioning the law in that way, um, caught up to him. And that's probably a good thing because it's all fun and trolling and, oh, it's games and whatever. But no, it's actually really problematic stuff and it has an effect on uh, people's enjoyments and businesses and it should be uh, addressed and it is being addressed. So that is probably good news, even five years later. And that's it for this episode of Pixels. Uh, thank you so much for being with me, both Daniel and Nate. Will you tell the good people listening where they can hear more of your excellent analysis of the gaming industry uh, or anything else, really? Let's start with Daniel. Go ahead. Sure. So you can find me uh, mostly on Twitter at, uh, at JugaEX, which will probably be in the description. Yes, uh, it it's hard to spell. But, no one will um, ever find, find it if the link isn't in, in the description, except <laughs> uh, uh, people who really love Chinese, Chinese history. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I mostly tweet about the games industry on there, and then from there you can find links to um, 
our company blog, which usually has updates about the China games market. So, I mean, if you're interested in, I guess, the games industry or China games uh, industry, then yeah, feel free to follow and hopefully it's useful. Lots of really interesting numbers all the time on uh, Daniel's Twitter account. Numbers and excellent uh, dad jokes. Although I've noticed your pun game has been uh, decreasing recently. You're not as on point. You, I haven't seen as many. I'm a little bit disappointed, I have to say. Well, you know, at some point you, you kind of grow up. and <laughs> you. <laughs> please no, never I'll, grow up, Daniel, please. <laughs> I'll try and... Try and add a, add a few more there. Excellent. Uh, Nate, what about yourself? Um, best place to, to get me, to be honest, given that this is a podcast, um, is my podcast, which is Text Message, uh, which can be found at TA. Uh, what is it techpodcast.uk uh this week in particular actually is quite a quite a good one because we spent a little bit of time debating red dead redemption 2 versus life is strange um which is an interesting debate uh, i'll be honest that's that's an unexpected one but i can see how yeah. it could be discussed yeah indeed <laughs> Cool. So uh, text message and uh, you can find that uh, from Nate's uh, Twitter account, which will be in the show notes as well. For me, it's not Patrick on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Um, and you will also find uh, this podcast at frenchspin.com. You can uh, go there and comment on what we've said. If you agree or disagree with anything we have said, please feel free to let us know. And uh, you'll also find another show there called The Phyllis Club, which uh, discusses news from around the world and um, we talk about things that uh, might be difficult to talk about sometimes but uh, that are always interesting I would say and try to talk about them in a uh, civil manner. The latest episode was a special about what's happening in Brazil actually so if you've heard about what's happening in Brazil but aren't quite sure what the deal is, then uh, go check it out. We uh, we had uh, Guillermo on the podcast, who is in Brazil, uh, detail all of the things that led to the current situation and all of that. So the the uh, the show is called The Phileas Club, but go to frenchspin.com. You'll find uh, links to the uh, RSS feed for the podcast there. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Talk to you then. Bye.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.